Saturday a week ago, we were in the afternoon standing on a little speck of an island out in the middle of the ocean called Patmos. We were on the journeys of Paul last week, but we got a little sidetracked to go on the journeys of John. Stood just a couple of hundred yards from where the Apostle John received the revelation they sang about just a moment ago. That revelation talks about the end of time. What a humbling thing it is to read through to see what's going to happen to this old earth one of these days. But you know, the book of the Revelation is much more than just prophecy. It's, it's, it's one of the greatest books that we have about Jesus. In fact, John sees something that nobody else saw. Only place we have recorded in the Bible, what Jesus looks like in his resurrected, glorified state. He saw the Lamb of God. He fell before him as a dead man. He was so overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. Is he worthy? John knew he was worthy. He's the only one worthy to open the seals of the book. He's the only one worthy to bring judgment. And we worship him today. And uh, what a privilege it was for us to stand in that very place a few weeks ago, a week and a half ago, whatever. I don't even know where I'm at now today, it didn't seem like. But what a privilege it was to be able uh, to do that and to think about what the Lord did on that little speck of an island many, many years ago. And we read about it now in the book of the Revelation. Well, I'm not preaching on Revelation this morning. We're going to talk about prayer. Uh, three weeks ago or three messages ago, I started a series just simply entitled Pray. And uh, through the first two messages, asked some questions about prayer, answered those questions. Last message, I gave you some prayer secrets that I hope uh, maybe motivated you, encouraged you in your prayer life that you can use. And this morning, I want to ask one more question or an additional question and begin to answer it. I will go ahead and tell you I will not get through this message today. In fact, I think I got to point six in the early service and we'll see how far I get in here. But uh, I'll pick up later on it uh, when we finish our refocus a series, but I want to ask the question and answer the question why are my prayers not answered? Why are my prayers not answered? And that's a very good question, it needs to be answered. I mean, have you ever prayed about something over and over and over and over again and it just seemed like heaven was silent? God did not answer. I think you have to ask why. And it's interesting to note all through the Bible, God gives us some insight into why he doesn't answer our prayer at times. What's wrong when he doesn't answer our prayer? And that's what I want us to take a look at this morning and probably at least one more, if not two more messages on this topic of prayer in the days to come. I want to begin by sharing a very important principle with you, and I think you know this. If you don't know it, you need to be assured of it this morning. And it's a very simple principle that says this, God answers the prayers of his people, period. He does. God answers the prayers of his people. And when he doesn't answer our prayers, something's gone wrong. Something is amiss. And we need to find out why. Now let me back up that statement I just made, with, made to you about God answering our prayer from Scripture. John the 14th, and by the way, I don't have a text this morning. I've got about, I don't know how many verses, so just hang in there. There's a whole bunch. 
John 14 verse 13, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Matthew 7 verse 7, again Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. I've got in capital letters here in my notes. We have the request. God answers the prayers of his people. So when we don't receive an answer to our prayers, why not? What happened? That's what I want us to deal with for a few minutes this morning. Now before I deal with some hindrances, I do want to say this to you. You do realize that there's more than one way that God can answer our prayer. In fact, I believe there's at least four ways God answers the prayers of his people. Number one, sometimes God answers yes. And he gives us exactly what we're praying for. When we're walking in the Spirit, we're praying according to the will of God. We're praying according to the Word of God. We're walking with Him and we're praying and we're asking God for a certain matter, whatever it might be. It might be a personal need, it might be for somebody else. It may be asking God to work in behalf of somebody's life. It could be a whole host of things. Many times, many times God says yes and He answers that prayer as we have prayed it. But that's not the only way God answers prayers. Sometimes he answers yes. Sometimes God answers wait. Wait. Sometimes God answers our prayers at a later time than we think it will happen. It's important that you remember God's not on our timetable. And there are times that God may need to teach us something in the process of his answering our prayer so he is going to answer that prayer in his time but just not right yet he'll answer it later on down the road and by the way for, for most of us and I know it's been true in my own life when God has delayed his answer when he has given me a wait it's usually because he needed to teach me something and most of the time what I needed to learn was patience you ever get impatient with God? Remember, God's not on our timetable. God's never in a hurry, but he's always on time. Remember that. And maybe God needs to teach you something in the process of his answering. So he waits. He tells us to wait. That's an answer. Third way God answers our prayers is no. No. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm real glad God did not give me some of the things that I have prayed for over these years. Amen. I mean, just like a loving heavenly, uh, earthly father will not give his son everything he asks for, God does us likewise. And I would remind us, listen, and this is, this is a hard pill sometimes for us to swallow. I would remind us that no is an answer. And when God answers no, we must trust that he knows best. He's a sovereign, all-wise God. And just like, again, a wise earthly father doesn't give a child everything he wants, so God does for us. But fourthly, God sometimes answers our prayer 
by giving us something different. God giving us something better. By giving us something we had not even been able to understand or to ask for. And again, remember, he is an all-wise God and knows better than we do what we need. So he goes beyond our request and he gives us something different, something that's better for us and for his glory. But God answers the prayers of his people. But if you pray and pray and pray and pray and there is no answer, why? So for the, this Sunday and at least one more message, let me, let me give you some reasons that I know this is not an exhausted list by any means of the imagination, but I think these things are true. Number one, hindrance. Number one, why does not God answer my prayer? Sometimes he doesn't answer our prayer because we're praying with selfish and wrong motives. We are praying with selfish and wrong motives. Maybe you heard the story about the young boy who came home from school and um, he went straight to his room and started doing something. It's kind of odd because a little boy, most of the time when he came home from school, he'd go to his room, change clothes, go outside and start play, playing. And his mama would have to come in and get him to come back in to do his homework or whatever he needed to do. But on this particular day, he goes straight to his room and that kind of mother thought it was strange. So she went up to his room. He had the door closed, but she could hear him doing something in his room. And uh, she stands there at the door for a few minutes trying to figure out what was going on with her child. After listening to him, she could hear him. She realized that the little boy was praying. He was praying to the Lord. In fact, he was praying loudly these words, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. Well, her, her curiosity finally got the best of her and she opened the door and asked him what he was doing, to which he responded that he had taken a geography class, a geography test that day at school, and he was worried about one of the answers he put down. So he told her that he was praying to the Lord, asking God to please make Tokyo the capital of France. That is a selfish prayer with wrong motives. And obviously God is not going to answer a prayer such as that. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because of our motive. James reminded those early believers of this, you do not have because you do not ask. There's a proper way to ask, we'll talk about that later. And then he says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. We pray selfishly sometimes. And folks, God is not interested in blessing your selfishness. It's not all about you. What's the, what's the quickest way to spoil a child? Give him or her everything they want, correct? God's not interested in giving you everything you want. Will you pray selfishly about a matter? God's not going to answer that. You're praying with wrong motives. Uh, I hope uh, you do not buy lottery tickets for a lot of reasons. I hope that. What a waste of money um, in both cases. And uh, I have known people over the years that uh, have bought a lottery ticket hoping they would somehow find the uh, pot at the end of the rainbow. That usually does not happen. 
I remember going by one day to visit a man in the, in the hospital. I don't know why he felt the need to confess to me that he had bought a lottery ticket, but he did. I guess he was asking, was, was in some way asking me to forgive him or ask that I might get him forgiveness. I'm not the one that can do that if he felt like he needed to confess his, his sin. But anyway, he, uh, he, he informed me that he had bought a ticket. And out of his guilt, he looked at me and said, Preacher, he said, I got a question for you. If I win the big lottery, do you want me to give to the church? This is what I said. I said, sure I do. Just don't tell anybody where it came from. That's what I said. Amen. I mean, the devil's had that money long enough. But here, here's, here's my point. How many people have ever said, well, you know what? If I win that, Lord, let, let me win that $10 million Powerball sweepstake. And Lord, if you let me win it, I'll give a million dollars back to the church. Sounds so sacrificial, doesn't it? $10 million and you're going to give a million back? So you can spend $9 million on yourself? You think God's going to answer that kind of prayer? Now, I realize that's a ridiculous illustration. But folks, we, we pray that, like that all the time. God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Why? Because it's all focused on us. God's not interested in just blessing you for the sake of blessing you. Selfish motives oftentimes keep our prayers from being answered. Hindrance number two. Hindrance number two. What keeps our prayers from being answered? A lack of compassion and generosity can keep your prayers from being answered. A lack of compassion and generosity can keep our prayers from being answered. Now that may come as a surprise to you, but the Bible clearly tells us that if we do not show compassion to those in need, then the Lord will shut his ears to our prayers. Did you know that? Listen to what the wise writer of wisdom says. Proverbs 21, 13. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. And the Bible has a lot to say to us about how we relate to the poor and those that are in need around us. And to a large degree, how we treat the poor and how we treat the needy is in direct relationship to how God is going to treat us. 1 John 3, verse 17, John writes and he says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? A lack of compassion, stinginess. One writer said it this way, There is perhaps no greater hindrance to prayer than stinginess. The lack of liberality towards the poor and towards God's work. It is the one who gives generously to others who receives from God. And across your path of life and living, if God brings across your way someone who has a need, and you have the capacity to meet that need, to help meet that need, and you refuse to do it, the Bible says when you have need and you call upon God, God will not hear. Why would God want to do something for you and help you when you're not willing to help somebody else? 
And to the degree that you're willing to help, to the degree that you are generous, to the degree you are compassion and you show compassion, to that degree, many times God hears our prayers or doesn't hear our prayer. Here's a, a simple verse that deals with that truth. Jesus said it, John, uh, not John, excuse me, Luke 6, verse 38. He said this, give and it will be given to you. A lot of people like to get. But do you like to give? There's a, a gentleman, a very dear friend of mine. I pastored him for, for 13 years at Lilburn. His wife was on the pulpit committee that called me to that church. Um, he and I have traveled the world together in many ways, have done a lot. Um, I've kept up with him over these years and just seen God bless him. He has, he has the spiritual gift of giving. And he's one of these guys that um, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why God has done this for him, but everything he touches turns to money. He's a very wealthy, wealthy man. But I've watched this gentleman. He, he has a hard time giving away uh, he, let, let, me, let me rephrase it. He wants more and more and more so he can give away more and more and more and more. He is blessed by his generosity. I, I watch him. He tithes to his church very faithfully. In fact, he asked his own pastor to help hold him accountable to that. I did help hold him accountable to that. And I mean, he gave lots of money to the church. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. He's given hundreds of thousands of dollars away to people who were in need, to other ministries, to things that were making a difference. And I remember one time when he was going through a time of, of uh, difficulty in his business and the money was not coming in like it, like it was normally coming in. I watched him weep because he didn't have the resources to be able to give like he one time gave. You know why God blessed him? He knew generosity. He knew what it was to give. And it was out of his giving that he was given by God himself. But folks, you can pray and pray and pray. And if you're not one who is generous, if you're stingy, if you don't give rightly to the Lord, if you don't give rightly to those around you that God brings across your path, we can't help everybody, but you can help those that come across your path. When your time comes of need, don't expect to hear from God. He closes his ears. To your prayer hindrance number three, unconfessed sin keeps our prayers from being answered sometimes. Unconfessed sin. Psalm 66 verse 18, the psalmist puts it as clearly as it can be put. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now let me read that again. You, you, you do not need a PhD in theology to understand that verse. If I hang on to sin in my life, God's not going to hear my prayer. And I've watched people over these years living like the devil. Wickedness in their heart. And all of a sudden, a tragedy comes to their life or some need comes to their life. And they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And God doesn't answer. And they shake their fist in God's face and say, why don't you hear me, God? And you know why he doesn't hear them? They have regarded wickedness in their heart. They've not dealt with it like God says, deal with it. 
And God says, I can't hear you. I won't hear you. It's interesting to note this word regard that's used here in Psalm 66, 18. It's used 1,300 plus times in the Old Testament. Has numerous meanings. But here in this case, it means to appear, to perceive, to select, or to cause to enjoy. And then the word wickedness that is used is a general word that refers to all types of sin. So translated, putting those together, that verse would say, when we select and enjoy sin in our hearts, we close the door for God to answer prayer in our own life. Boy, King David knew the reality of that. He was a man after the heart of God. But there was a time in David's life where he wandered from the Lord. He sinned grievously. In fact, he committed numerous sins. The Bible seems to indicate that David struggled with what he had done for some year before he finally got it right with God. Psalm 32 is one of seven psalms in the psalms where David deals with his sin. They're called penitent psalms. And in Psalm 32, he, he talks about his sin. His need to get it right. And he connects it all to this matter of praying. Listen to what he writes. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me as conviction. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then it says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. And the implication there is clear. David couldn't find God when he hadn't dealt with his sin. It took him coming clean with sin in his own life before his heart was ready to pray and his prayer would be heard by God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Hey, Christian, if you're living in sin today, if you've regarded it in your heart, you're hanging on to it and you won't deal with it like God says to deal with it, you can forget talking to God because he's not going to hear a word you say until you get your heart right with him. There was a, um, a brother rich, uh, some discipleship material that we used many, many years ago with you. A guy by the name of Dawson McAllister had written it. Probably still some of his material out there. Excellent material for young people. And it was teaching just basic aspects of, of being a disciple of Jesus and what it meant to follow Christ. And one of the chapters dealt with this matter of confessing sin. 
And uh, at that time, it's where you had all the fancy graphic stuff that we've got nowadays. But it was a cartoon of a little guy, uh, a teenager that was in his bedroom, and he was praying. In fact, it had him bowing, kneeling at his bedside, had his hands folded like this, and he's looking up to heaven, and it's showing words coming out of his mouth towards heaven like he is praying. Well, that's the bottom part of the cartoon. Across the top part, in the very top of that cartoon was written God, G-O-D. And between God and this young boy praying was a ceiling, like the ceiling of a roof. And across that ceiling had the words unconfessed sin written on it. And in this cartoon, here's this little boy, this young boy down praying, and he's offering his prayers to God, and it showed them going up to the ceiling, the unconfessed sin, and bouncing right back down to his bedside. In other words, as long as there was unconfessed sin in his life, his prayers were not getting any higher than the ceiling. And folks, that's what happens if your heart's not right with God. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9. John tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But until we do that, until we get our hearts right, we can pray all day long and God will not hear. doesn't say he might not hear. It says he will not hear our prayers. Fourthly this morning, the fourth hindrance to our prayers being answered is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, that might be a little strange to you. You think, well, does anybody today have a problem with idolatry? Well, I would suggest to you, yes, we do. In fact, I'm not so sure we don't have a, a greater problem with idolatry in our culture today than some of the pagan cultures of a long time ago. Uh, Ezekiel deals with this. Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, verse 13. He writes these words, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. That's where idols always go. They have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of iniquity. And then God says, should I be consulted by them at all? In other words, God is saying, should I listen to them at all? The implied answer is clearly no. Well, it's important that we ask this morning, what's an idol? What is an idol? I mean, is it just some fat golden image of a Buddha or some strange image made of metal, uh, wood, stone? I mean, uh, when I was pastoring in First Baptist Church of Lilburn, Lilburn had become such a uh, multicultural area. It was, I mean, you could go a short distance from our church. You'd go a mile down Beaver Ruin Road and come to the Buddhist temple. And you could have walked into that Buddhist temple and there you would have found this, never have figured this one out. This little fat Buddha, gold, ugly. And people are bowing before it, worshiping. How in the world they depict that as God, I do not know. Is, is that what he's talking about? Well, that certainly would be partly right. But I don't think that's what Ezekiel meant. Or just a mile and a half down Highway 29 in Lilburn. You could go to the second largest Hindu temple outside of the nation of India in the world. In Lilburn, Georgia. 
And if you walked in there on any given day, you would find hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands, of man-made gods, man-made idols, and they worship these idols all day long. Is that what Ezekiel is talking about? Is that what he means? Well, certainly he talks about that, but it goes much further than that. The Bible is absolutely clear about having no other image before God. There are no other gods before him. It's in the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments. Uh, actually, an idol could be defined as anything that takes the place of God in our life. Doesn't matter if it's innate, if it's real. Doesn't matter if it's made of wood, hay, straw, stubble, metal, glass, any object or anything else that replaces God in our life is an idol. In fact, you can even make a good thing an idol if you're not careful. Now here in our culture, I don't know too many people who bow down before an idol. I've been to places in the world where they do. I don't see that happening. I'm sure it happens, but I don't know about it. But I'm going to tell you something. We got a problem with idols in our country. In fact, I'm going to tell you what I believe. We are driven by idolatry in our culture today. Here's what I'm talking about. You can make an idol out of your job. You put your job before God, it's an idol. You can make an idol of your home if you're not careful. You can make an idol of your possessions. You can make an idol of your goals. You can make an idol of your free time pursuits. Listen to me. You can make an idol of your family. And God says, should I be consulted at all by those which do such? And the answer is absolutely no. I, uh, I read an article sometime back. I reposted it on Facebook. Uh, it spoke to my heart. I think it speaks to our culture today in a very real way. It's an article written by a man by the name of Bob Coffin. It's entitled, Idolatry in Corporate Worship. And buddy, if, it, if there's one area today in our worship culture in America that we need to evaluate this amount of idolatry, it's this one. Idolatry and corporate worship. This is what he wrote. What's your greatest hindrance to worshiping God as you gather with the church for corporate worship? I can think of a number of possible answers. Our song leader isn't very experienced. The liturgy is too stifling. The band sounds bad. The preacher is uninspiring. Our church is too small. Our church is too big. While I don't want to minimize the importance of faithful planning, musical skill, and wise leadership, our greatest problem, he writes, when it comes to worshiping God, doesn't lie outside us, but within our hearts. 
It's the problem of idolatry. Idolatry can be active in my heart even when I'm gathered with the church. Whenever, listen, whenever I think I can't meet God unless X is present, I am making a profound statement. If X is anything other than Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, I have moved into dangerous territory. Well, I just, I just can't worship in there because I don't like their music. You're bound at the God of music. Well, I just can't worship in there because it's just too cold. You're about, I don't know what God that is. It, you never say that in this church. <laughs> Folks, I, listen, listen to me. I've known of churches that have split because they moved the communion table. And you're bowing at another God. And then you wonder why God didn't hear our prayer. You wonder why God doesn't bless our churches. You wonder why God is so foreign from many churches in our culture today. Why we don't know his anointing. Why we don't know his power. Why we don't know his presence. We're bowing at another God. Instead of the one true living God. Ezekiel the 14th chapter verse 6 therefore say to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations oh I'm not so sure that's not the word we need to hear in America in our churches today all right I got seven minutes to do six more points y'all ready I ain't gonna get there let me finish this last. I'm actually I'm gonna put four and five, five and six together can I do that? Because they go hand in hand. Number five hindrance is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Number six hindrance is conflict with spouse. Yeah, you heard me right. Conflict with spouse. Unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five to 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. But listen, this is Jesus speaking. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you of your transgression. There, there, there are people who come into church all the time. They're angry at a neighbor. They're angry at a family member. They've had a knockdown drag out on the way to church. They've got bitterness in their heart. They've got unforgiveness in their heart towards another person, or brother or sister, maybe even in the same congregation. They, they come into the house of God and their hearts are not right because they're not right with other people. There, there's a vertical relationship with God by which we get right with God, but the evidence of a right vertical relationship with God is always seen in the horizontal relationships of life and living. And if you're not right horizontally with other people, you can't be right with God. And if you don't forgive, well, you don't know what they did to me, preacher. They're making a difference. Does it make any difference? God says, if you don't forgive, I, I, I won't forgive you your transgressions. 
You won't be hurt when you pray. I, I've, I've shared this before when I was pastoring uh, one particular church. I had two brothers that were uh, in the church. They've been lifetime members of that church. They worked together, ran a hardware store for many, many years. Something happened along the way. I don't know what it was. Don't want to know what it was. They got angry with each other to the point they split business. They went their separate ways, started two hardware stores in a town that didn't need one. They'd come to church. They'd sit on opposite sides of the church and they would not speak to one another. Now get the picture. They're coming to worship God, but they're even not right with their physical brother. Do you think God was going to receive their worship when they can't even get right with their brother? And then we wonder why God didn't hear our prayers. You cannot be unforgiving, unforgiving towards another person and expect God to hear your prayer. Same thing relates to conflict with spouse. Hey guys, I, I, wish, I wish this wasn't true, but this is written to husbands, not wives. I think the implication is it's there for everybody. I think it applies to wives as it does husbands. But, but for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit was very specific when he told Peter to say what he says. This is what it says. You husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir the grace of life and this is why so that your prayers will not be hindered same principle if you're not right with your fellow man you can't be right with God that's why the Lord Jesus later said, Matthew 5, 23 to 24, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, if you've come to church, and there in church, remember that your brother has something against you. You leave your offering there before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and present your offering. Why? Because if you're not right with your brother, you're not right with God. If you're not right with God, God will not receive your worship. And until you get right with your brother, you're not going to be right with God. So leave it there. Go get right with your brother. Then come back and worship, and God will then hear you. Somebody here this morning, you're angry at somebody in this church. You hold unforgiveness. You think you've been treated wrong. You think you're justified in holding unforgiveness. Would you listen to me? God will not hear your prayer until you get right. Somebody here today, you're angry at a neighbor. Oh, if he hadn't done what he did, I wouldn't have done what I did. Oh, no, it don't work that way. What he did might not have been right, but that doesn't justify you doing what you've done. You can't walk around with bitterness in your heart toward you. You can't allow unforgiveness to well up inside you. If you do, you're not right. And if you're not right, God doesn't hear you when you pray. 
Somebody's got a person in their life from 30, 40, 50 years ago that did you wrong. And for 30, 40, 50 years, you've held unforgiveness, bitterness in your heart towards that person. And you wonder why God seems so far away. You wonder why God seems so distant. You wonder why you don't feel like you're right with God. Leave your offering there at the altar. Go your way. First, be reconciled with your brother. And then come back and present your offering. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You know, I sense, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing I did in the first service this morning. I'm not doing this just because I want to do the same thing in both services. I just do it because I just feel an overwhelming conviction to do it. Nobody's looking around. This is just, just prayer time. This is, this is about you. This is about me. Are you right with others? Preacher, you, you don't know how they treated me. I, I didn't ask you that. Might not have been right. Might not have been proper. But I'd give you the right to hold bitterness. To have unforgiveness. And until you get that right. You're never going to be in a position where God can hear your prayer and answer your prayer. And for some reason, the Lord just put this on my heart in the first service too. For some reason, there just might be some here today that you need to get right with some people. <laughs> how, how, how can you be wrong with your brother and sister in Christ and think you're right with God? How can you hold bitterness in your heart towards another person? And thank God's pleased with that. How can you hold such resentment and claim to be forgiven? So maybe right there where you sit this moment, before we pray, have the rest of our invitation and finish up. Maybe you need to first of all say, God, forgive me. You know my heart. I'm wrong. Lord, forgive me for my unforgiveness. Forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for my stubbornness. Give me the grace I need. Do what I can do to help make it right. And then as quickly as you can, you need to go your way. First, be reconciled with your brother. Well, what if they don't want to be reconciled? Well, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to go and try. You do what you have to do. And once you've cleared your conscience, you can come back, present your offering. It will be acceptable. The lines of communication between you and God will be open once again. Hey, folks. I'm not so sure that that might be one of the key issues of this church for God to open the lines of blessing in it once again.
Lord, help us to receive what I just said. Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to be in a right position where we can be right with you, to have our prayers both heard and answered. Grant us the grace we need to deal with us so that you can work through us for your glory and honor. If you're here this morning, there's never been a time in your life that you put personal faith in Jesus. I can't think of a better time, better place than right here, right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So in just a moment, as we'll stand and sing a hymn invitation, Brother Leo, come lead us in our singing. I'm going to be standing down front. If you need to come and give your heart to Christ to find the promise of eternal life, forgiveness of your sins, and a brand new start walking with Jesus. Would you step out from where you'll be standing, make your way down front, take me by the hand and say, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart to Christ. We won't embarrass you. In fact, what we will do, we'll send you out with one of our staff members and back in the privacy of a few moments, they will share with you from God's word how you can become a believer and follower of Jesus, how you can find eternal life today. Would you come? Would you take that step of faith? Would you come this morning? Christian, if God has spoken to your heart, boy, if God spoke to you about getting right with somebody, don't put it off. Don't give excuses. You be quick to give obedience. Trust God to give you the opportunity. Make the opportunity. Trust God to pave the way. Make sure you deal with those things that stand in the way in your life today. You need to come to this altar and pray for a moment. You can come. I'll be glad to pray with you if you want me to pray with you. Or if you're here today as a believer and God puts other commitments on your heart, now is the time for you to respond. Lord, help us to do so in Jesus' name.